and welcome to Stacia Adjacent, a podcast at the intersection of analog and digital productivity. My name's Justin Twyford. I'm joined as always by my friend, my co-host, and my Cypriot companion, Stu Lennon. Hey, Stu, how are you today on the other side of the world? I, uh, well, the, this side of the world, as far as I know, uh, is in fine shape. Uh, I'm doing very, very well. Oh, although I should exclude from that comment Afghanistan, where things are clearly not uh, very, very good. But um, fingers crossed for all those people there. Yeah, it's a mess. Let's not go there. Politics, never a good thing to start a podcast with. <laughs> no, I've been arguing with the American president on Twitter. Well, uh -huh. when I say arguing, he's saying things that I'm responding. I, he doesn't appear to be engaging with me. Mm. It might not even be him, Justin, I suspect. You know, I was actually ready to pick a fight with the most uh, powerful man in the world on Twitter yesterday. Who? Tim Cook. Oh, you don't want to pick a fight with Tim Cook. Well, I'm already in a fight with Tim Cook. Oh, dear, dear. Apple, Apple, Apple. What, what is Tim's background? He is logistics, right? He grew up in logistics mm -hmm. of Apple, making them the worldwide leader in what they are. He's he's an ops fellow. Yep, he's uh you know roll the sleeves up and get stuff done sort of guy. Yep. Mm. They have no inventory of monitors. Oh, and apparently can't make any. Ah, I am so frustrated with Apple right now. There there may be some worldwide events impacting on that. I mean, I don't, I don't know if you've been aware. But there's been a bit of a bug going about. Um, you know, no, 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 clearly no. Uh, uh chips. <laughs> Chip shortage? Could it be that? Could, could that be something to do with this? Because everybody's complaining about that. I, I, all I'm thinking is a company with all the money of God mm. and all the power of God can make laptops all day long, can make iMacs. Just came out with a whole new iMac line. You would think that they're really, really big, expensive monitor. They would have at least one in North America. Just one. That's all I'm asking. That's <laughs> all you're asking. All I'm asking. Well, you're, you're, just what you're asking a lot. I understand. Do, do you want me to check Apple UK for you? It is handmade and coming to me from Shanghai, China. Okay. A week later than it's supposed to be here. The week later is the problem. <laughs> uh, forgive me if I'm wrong, but are you moving house at some point soon? Yeah, I, I ordered this monitor on the express conversation an hour, an hour and a half of going back and forth with Apple, making sure that these could be delivered before I moved. And sure enough, I get an email the other day saying, oh, congratulations, your stuff has been bumped. It's now right in the middle of your move. Oh. So I did what any smart person would do. I called them because sending them a message or self-service wasn't going to work. And I had a lovely woman on the phone who I got to know very, very well over the course of an hour or so. And I got to learn all about their company and their system that they use and what they can't do and what they can't do. And basically, they can't do anything. I had suggested that they not ship this to me because, let's face it, I'm not going to be here and I don't want a career guy dropping, you know, a $6,000 monitor on the front porch of my house that I'm not anywhere near for a week. But they can't do that. They couldn't even change where it was going to be delivered. They were so inflexible that the best I could do was they did not know what courier they were going to use because it hadn't shipped. Uh, so I asked them to get it to the courier company, have the courier company hold it, and let me know, and I'll go pick it up. The next day, I got an email from the courier company, UPS, delivering it to my door on a date when I'm out of town. <clears throat> Apple had sent the request, but it was too late. They can't change anything. So, uh, yeah, I have this monitor that I have no idea if I'll ever be able to collect. It's absolutely crazy. Hours and hours out of my week 
have been on the support call with Apple, trying to get them to do anything. If you want to supervise a callback, do you know it takes three days? <laughs> and that supervisors can only offer the same things that frontline support people can offer. So your problem here is that you've you've tried to do it the right way. If if you just ignored the issue and UPS had turned up with your ten thousand Canadian dollar monitor, they would have gone, Oh, he's not here. Right. So they would have taken it back and they would have sent you an email saying, Oh, we're not here. You you're not here, you're not going to and then you would have been able to engage with UPS and say, deliver it on the blah blah blah. And you would have been on a whole different loop. And I, I, I bet you that would have worked better. But by trying to save everybody the trouble, you just got yourself into this infinite loop, loop of people who can't do anything. Uh, infinite loop is about right. I, I see why they've uh, named their flagship uh, head office <laughs> Infinite Loop. People that can't do anything. Uh, no, um, UPS has a horrible habit of just dropping things on my front doorstep and walking away. So does FedEx, for that matter. Even $10,000 monitors. Well, I can't say I've been buying a lot of these, but... <laughs> That's true. It's <laughs> a stupid question. <laughs> I retract it, sir. Seriously, though, like, amazing things that they just drop on my doorstep and leave. We were talking before the show about my wife walking up and down the driveway uh, and annoying me because it sets off all the ladies in the tube with a big announcement that, you know, the cameras detected somebody walking up and down my driveway. Uh, there's a reason I do that. There's a reason that I have that, because... Lots of people leave lots of things on my front porch. So I have no idea what's going to happen. If I don't sign for it, hey, it's Apple's fault. They can deal with it. But, oh, frustrating as heck. Oh, well, I, I can get you on for the 9th of September, if you don't mind coming to the UK to pick it up. Uh, you know what? That's probably about as easy as it is uh, driving back here on the 9th of September. <laughs> okay, all right. Well, I'll, I'll, I'll just keep it in the basket for the moment then. Yeah, no kidding. Uh, do they actually have them in stock in the UK? Uh, well, they say they do, um, but then they're turning around and saying 9th or 10th. I mean, for, for items that are actually in stock, it usually takes like two days. So mm. I think it would be the exact same scenario. They're going to be coming from China, direct from China, invoiced via Ireland so that we can avoid that, that troublesome tax thing. And uh, yeah, then thrown onto my doorstep by UPS, FedEx or some British version thereof. Mm. It just it just blows my mind. I, I know they make these because I know there's at least three of them out in the world. But <laughs> that, could be, that could be the thing. There's, there is somebody sitting, not in the beautiful campus, but in the sort of warehouse shed on the edge of Cupertino where all the, uh, the real workers work, sitting there going, hey, guys, guys, somebody's ordered another HDR. Have we got anyone? No, we've sold all seven, Jeff. That's it. Oh no, we'll have to get another one made. Quick. Yeah, call Shanghai. Get the workers on it. Yep, there'll be 14 elves in Shanghai going, oh God, it's been a long time since we've made one of these. That's what I was thinking. Maybe that's it. Uh, you've heard this uh, kerfuffle about the HomePod, right? That uh, they discontinued it. And from what everybody can tell, all of the HomePods ever made were all made in one production run in like 2017. Uh, yeah, I, I saw that on Twitter, yeah. I have a feeling this is the complete opposite of that. Oh, we had all these HomePods. We'll just build these to order. So they, they just call yeah. up worker number 3,291 and go, uh, do you remember how to build one of these? Put it together. <laughs> I think we've got all the components. If not, you know, just a little bit of super glue. Nobody will notice. No, no, no. Now, we're both consultants, Justin. This is called just-in-time supply chain management, and you can charge a fortune for it, Emma. I'm paying a fortune for this monitor, so that's probably about right. There you go. You see, they'll maybe call you back and say, does Sir have a preference for the angle? Oh, it's all adjustable. This, If I get it, it's going to be wonderful. No, it isn't. That's the whole point. It isn't. <laughs> it isn't half as adjustable as it should be, I don't think. Uh, it's more adjustable than an iMac anyway. That's for sure. Uh, speaking of iMacs and computers and desks, and you sent a picture of your desk. Let's talk. What happened? Oh, well, it, I had the opposite fallout from the conversation. In the last episode, you very unfairly laid at my feet the, the responsibility for the aforementioned, well, not arriving HDR monitor as a sort of expansion of our discussion about workspace. 
Well, I'd, I'd been going down a similar route. So I was thinking, okay, yeah, I've got enough space here because our, our offices are curiously, spookily about the same size. And, you know, an analog desk and a digital desk. I thought, yeah, I could do that. I like that. There, there is an Ikea, which for me is a long way away, but it's an hour's drive. So for you, it's, well, I suppose it's about as near as the nearest pub. <laughs> and I could go and get another matching desk or a different type. But, you know, the, the world is my oyster, although obviously mm-hmm. Ikea changes its lines every 20 minutes. So this is probably defunct now. Anyway, so I thought, okay. And I, I was mentally, as we were talking, I was, I was reorganizing the office. So I was sort of turning things around and okay, I could put that there and this here. And this is going to be great. And then I think it's only really kicked in since I turned 50, but there's some sort of part of me that went, well, hang on, hang hang about here. Before we do this, could we improve the workspace now? Right now, without actually getting your wallet out, which, you know, believe me, the 45-year-old me would have no idea what I was talking about. But I thought, okay, let's have a look at that. And I had a look at what I use and how I use it. And um, I sort of, somehow or other, I'd gone from a very clean and crisp look maybe two years ago to sort of IT manager had thrown up on my desk and there were monitors lying all over the place. I mean, I've got three monitors. Okay, My only computer is, is well, not my only computer, but an M1 Mac Mini for which I have two uh, of the LG 5G monitors, uh, only to learn they could only power one of them. Yes. Uh, so I supplemented that with a Dell U41 blah, 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 blah thing, so that I could have a dual monitor set, and clearly another monitor sort of in the garage, as it were. I decided that I needed a number pad on my keyboard, even though... I'd long ago decided that that was something that really in a home office was was unnecessary. But anyway, I, it just sort of grown and grown and grown. And you put that next to my sort of, well, the fact that I own a notebook company and that I use a lot of analog tools, the poor desk was was under assault from all sides. I just sort of had a little word with myself. And, and before I knew really what I was doing, I had switched back to a single monitor which sits on a, what would you call it, a pedestal next to my desk. Mm-hmm. I'd put all of my, the, the machine, the Mac Mini, and the peripherals are in that pedestal in a drawer. So I'd taken the back off the pedestal, so everything is, is very ventilated. Mm-hmm. So that sort of eliminates 99% of the cable issues. Everything feeds down into that. I had bought a new Magic Keyboard, the one with the fingerprint sensor so I can unlock the Mac Mini with my fingerprint. Have you got that? Very nice. I've got that. Uh, So I have that and a Magic Mouse, which is exactly the same as my previous Magic Mouse, but is a different color, because that's important, obviously. So I've gone from the... Have they fixed a charging issue yet? uh, It still looks like a dead turtle when you charge it. Yeah, so... Which means it's so useful when you charge it. Yeah, exactly. Charging it is, oh, this is Apple telling you to take a break, or in my case, do something analog. Uh, so th- that's really it for IT. On my desk physically is my boom for the mic. And that's just on the back corner. And when I'm not using the mic, I tuck it behind the monitor. So it's fairly sort of hidden. Nice. I have a little sort of c- cable tidy where um, I hold a lightning for my phone and a USB-C for either my laptop, which we'll get to later, or my iPad Pro laptop i like to hear that Uh, yeah yeah. and that's it for electronics and so when i'm not using my electronics i tuck the boom behind the monitor i put the keyboard on the monitor stand i put the mouse on the monitor stand and my desk is clear other than a very nice blotter that i have from a company called orbit key who are australian i think um origin i've got Mm, very nice a couple of their is that leather it is yeah i've got a couple of their sort of stone leather ones i've got the big one and the medium one so the big one may in fact is currently the desk it may be replaced by the medium one as i just go well that's more minimalist a bit smaller so (laughs) but at the moment that's that's at my sort of bookshelf where i stand because i've got a pedestal each side of the desk i've got plenty of drawers in which i can keep sort of current notebooks 
the, the stationary ephemera, if I can use DJ's favorite word. So that actually, if I do decide that I need to fill my journal in in 72 different inks or 14 different colors, I, I can, in fact, reach all of those things. But they're not on my desk. On my desk, I have Dudek Modern Goods. Is this somebody you've come across? Yes. Okay, so... He does... Mike Dudek does some really, really nice uh, uh, wooden blocks. Yeah, I have two. I've got one which has a sort of dual inkwell and holds, I think... I'm just looking for it now. Uh, I think it holds nine pens. It has nine holds for pens. But I also have um, a very small one, which holds three pens or pencils. And I suppose you could put notebooks or index cards into the into a slot. So again, very minimal. And I have decreed to myself that I will I will limit myself to using the things that are in that doodeck. Uh, so this is this is a Twyford innovation. Uh, now that I have pen of the week mm-hmm. there's pen of the week is in there uh pencil of the week is in there and then one extravagance or extra or in today's case backup which we'll get to later <laughs> that and my analog from uh Ugwunk. that's it that's the oh uh, and obviously my uh, my drink which is the yeti from mpu on a little wooden coaster very nice that's it that is my desk and an incredible view at the same time well it's you know the uh, the view is of my my front yard which has way too much concrete in it to be honest and at the end of it has a big sort of concrete shell of a house that's been there to my certain knowledge for 30 years so i suspect it's not going to move but you know that i do have trees in the garden i have lots of fruit trees um which are flowering and uh, the sky is predominantly blue in this part of the world and I get to see a lot of it. So yeah, it's lovely. And I couldn't see it before. It was behind my monitor. Mm-hmm. Whereas right now, as I speak to the mic, I am naturally looking out of the garden, uh, which is just lovely. Gorgeous. So if Stu trails off into nothingness, something interesting happened outside. Yeah, I get to see the, you know, I get all the wildlife, you know, snakes going across. I don't, I don't see many of those. Um, but yeah, it's, I, we, we discussed this the other day, you know, we're both very lucky and very privileged to have the spaces that we have. And I just thought, you know, I'm not making the most of it. So that has for the moment staved off the possibility of me rushing out to buy another desk because now, now that I've got the bug, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, so, I'm sort of all merry condoed up now. I'm, I'm looking at every cupboard and going, okay, do I need all this? I'm looking at my pens even, Justin. Saying, do I need all these? Stu. Are, are there places that these would be better? You know, so uh, scary stuff. It's about focus. It's it's about uh-huh. coming to a clear workspace. Sort of tied in with my my afternoon routine, my closed down routine. This is just helping me stay on task, bringing it all back to productivity. It, it's obviously fairly extreme, but um, I'm putting a little bit more time into my shutdown routine now. So making sure that everything is squared away, making sure that my card is prepared for the next day, or at least half prepared for the next day, so that I, I, I know what I'm going to be getting into. And then when I, when I open the door to the office in the morning, I come in, and it's, uh, you know, it's a clear desk. Very nice. Uh, I can either sit down straight away with a notebook, or I can get my keyboard out, fire up the, the computer and get going. Or the other one, is, as we, I briefly touched upon, was the, uh, was the tool of the week, which... I'll go straight into tool of the week. My tool of the week is a MacBook Air, a new one. The M1. The M1. Uh, the um, off-the-shelf bottom of the line spec. So nothing upgraded. Seven cores? Uh, yep, seven rather than eight. Mm-hmm. Um, I, ooh, I'm, I've said that now, and I'm doubting myself. Did I go up to 512? Um, I may need to boot it up to check that. Uh, you know, it's an M1. Uh, come back uh, in an hour. Oh no, never mind. It's an M1. <laughs> Just touch, touch the button. Yep. You can even do a Craig Frederiki and open it up slightly and have the light pour out into your eyes. To pour into my face. Yeah, I mean, it's just uh, the difficulty was that I have it on a stand, and the stand's quite heavy. <laughs> I, I have mine on a stand too, so I don't feel too bad. Okay, so here we go. About this, Mike. Boom. Uh, storage. Nope, no, I, I'm quite right. I just kept it at the 256. So it's an off-the-shelf, bottom-of-the-range 
M1, uh, intentionally so. So the reason that I wanted to do that is because I want this machine to be liked. I want it to be, it, this isn't my road warrior machine. A, because there's no road at the moment, and B, because increasingly, when I do have to go on the road, I, I find that I don't need computing power. I need all sorts of other things, but I don't need computing power. Ooh. So while I'm not traveling anywhere and I don't need a work machine for you know aeroplanes and things, uh, this is my writing machine. So um, this is where I'm, I do most of my drafting. Uh, it's where I'm doing most of my editing. Uh, it doesn't have an email on it. It doesn't have any of the social media apps on it. Uh, obviously, it has the internet. Should I should I desperately wish to do any of those things? And I've I've not really done very much with it intentionally. So, the idea that I have behind this machine is that it's a sort of change of context. And I even sometimes just plonk it down in front of me and use it here at the desk, on the stand, uh, just typing away at the keyboard focused purely on it and what it offers. So I don't get any notifications of it. There's nothing to notify me. Sounds very CGP grayish. Yeah, it is kind of that thing. It's also um, sort of Max Sparky, contextual computing, of saying, okay, you know, I'm in this mode, uh, so I don't need all the rest of the stuff. Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm literally six inches away from the rest of the stuff if I want to get to, uh, you know, see what's happening in corporate Outlook or Teams. <gasps> So I've said that word again. Any of those things, it's there. But once that machine goes to sleep, which it does quite quickly, then I can, you know, I can lose. I, it happened to me the other day, two hours later, and I was oh, wow, I'm still writing. <laughs> Great. <laughs> this is exactly what I want to happen. So that's my tour of the week. Two hours, only another three days before you have to charge it. <laughs> it's been here. When did it arrive? It arrived at the end of last week. So it's been here a week. Um, it's not being charged yet. Exactly. Um, and battery strength is at about, I think, 90% at the moment. Yeah. It's astonishing. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it is everything people say it is. It's unbelievable. Yeah, I have no qualms about mine. And I completely agree with you with uh, contextual con computing. Part of the idea to go with the somewhat unobtainium but uh, cool monitor is so that I can just switch computers out and use the same thing. Mm. Uh, so I, I'm completely behind you in that. And I'm assuming you could do the same thing as well, should you ever want to go there. You've maybe got an extra monitor or two lying around? <laughs> um, yeah, my wife starts work next week. She hasn't, she hasn't been a, uh, an employee for a very long time. But she was, before I sort of ruined her life, she was a very, very talented learning and development consultant. She did a lot of training courses in the corporate world. Uh, and she also does a lot of work around grief recovery and things. But she's um, she's starting a job in a school as a teaching assistant. So she's going to be getting up at the crack of dawn or the same time as me and disappearing off. So she'll be leaving the house at, oh, I'm going to guess about seven o'clock in the morning. Mm. Uh, so then the whole house becomes my workplace. You know, I'll be able to do, you know, one set of work down here. I can set up a monitor and a laptop in that room. I could put an iPad Pro in this room. I could be working everywhere. It'd be fantastic. As long as I tidy up. The one problem I have with that, Stu, is it's so easy to work closer to the fridge. <laughs> well, as, as my editor, you will attest that I am not far from a fridge at the best of times. Well, this is true, but I assume that's a beer fridge. You know, it's, it's not a place where you have food. Uh, very little, you're right, man. But what I do have is frozen. <laughs> my problem is that when my wife is at work, it's so easy for me to sit at the kitchen table with the dog and be about three feet from the fridge. <laughs> and so when you're when you're hungry and you're nibbly and you're just, you know, you need a break, I, it's so easy to walk over there and come back with, you know, three handfuls of things that you shouldn't be eating. For sure. I mean, my way around that, um, as people will have gathered by now, I'm quite absolute. My way around that is I'm uh, intermittent fasting. So between, essentially, I, I'm only allowed to eat between sort of 12 and 8. So I think sitting there in the morning, I'll be safe because it's it's off limits. You know, the fridge is off limits. Of course, I can override that, but I, I tend not to. And I'm hoping that I will be able to go up there. And as you say, with with the dogs by my side, 
um, you know, perhaps sit in the kitchen or on the terrace and, and just tap away on the laptop. Looking forward to that. That'll be very nice. Very nice. Anyway, what about you? What's your tool of the week? I found a new application, uh, Fusion Cast by Guy Rambo. I'm sure you know Guy. I do know Guy. Well, I don't know him, but I know of him. But you know of him. Everybody knows of Guy Rambo. He's a computer programmer slash spelunker slash podcaster, uh, writer. He does everything Mac. Uh, young guy. Uh, he made a application which is ideal for podcasts where you drop your podcast mp3 in and your chapter art into this application and eight minutes later it spits out a full youtubeable video for you mm. which is really quick and is a background task and super quick uh, i've done a couple of these on adobe premiere pro which is sort of my big boy workstation for how I would produce videos. And it is slow and cumbersome, and there are so many choices. This is so quick and easy. I think it was 10 to 15 bucks. Very, very cheap. Worth, worth the money. Now, I haven't done this for Stacia Adjacent. I sort of figured our audience is going to be largely audio-based. One of the other podcasts that I do... There's a good section of our audience that sits and watches YouTube. And so just for the heck of it, I started throwing them up. Not a big enough audience that I want to go into Premiere Pro and create a long-winded half-hour process of making a video of a podcast. But, you know, having it out there, I could do that in the background in eight minutes, which is probably about till three minutes worth of work to throw it up there. Uh, so I'm just throwing it out there. If there's any interest in our audience having our audio track on YouTube, please drop us a line and let us know. I'd be interested. Cool. And where should they drop us a line, TJ? You're not TJ. G JT. I, I was going to try uh, uh, my Irish accent, but no. <laughs> I, I could not do that to TJ. They can drop us a line at stationaryadjacent.com. There's a button there, or you can even send us an email. We have a super secret email address, which is stationaryadjacent at gmail.com. Really exciting, huh? Yeah, I tell you what, it's the cutting edge. Or you can you can tweet at me, at Stu Lennon. I don't know how often Justin is on Twitter these days. You're quite sort of Twitter reclusive, aren't you? Uh, yes, I well, I'm social media reclusive, to be brutally honest. Mm. Uh, but if you want to tweet at me, JJ Twyford, T-W-Y-F-O-R-D, because nobody can spell that. Indeed, <laughs> there's so many options. Well, that sounds like quite a tool. Um, clearly, give me plenty of warning, because I'll need makeup artists, hair people, you know, just to make sure that I, I look my best. Uh, no, it's just, just chapter art, so it's real oh. simple. Oh. That's the whole best part of it. We're not, we're not going to Zoom no, video calls. No, no, no makeup? No? Uh, I've got... No costumes? No? Oh. No. There's a magazine that is doing a feature of one of my other podcasts, and they have asked for pictures of us recording the podcast for their magazine publication. And I just looked at it and went, how the heck am I going to take a picture of myself doing a podcast? You know, it, it's just so weird. But anyway, I'm not sure that anybody wants to see what I look like. Yeah, just record it as video through your your, your webcam there and just cut some stills out. Uh, yeah. Just send it to my friend Justin. He'll sort it out for you. That'd be fun. I have to figure out uh, videos or stills. or I, I don't know. I'm confused about that. But anyway, uh, I will go for any free publication because, well, earned media, right? Absolutely. You, you, can't, you can't knock a little bit of fame and fortune. All right. What's your pen and ink of the week, Stu? Uh, my pen and ink of the week, curiously, after I read yours, maybe, maybe chuckle a bit. Um, I pulled out um, a Meisterstück uh, from Mont Blanc. This was my, my first pen back into the world of, of pens. Not the current Mrs. Lennon, but a previous Mrs. Lennon. Uh, very kindly spent a large amount of my money at a charity auction. Uh, so that she could gift me uh, a set of Charles Dickens Mont Blanc limited edition. So it's the fountain pen, the mechanical pencil, and the ballpoint. 
don't get me wrong, they're absolutely gorgeous. Um, and mm-hmm. they've got Charles Dickens' signature on it. And the auction was being run by his great, 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 there may be one too many greats there, granddaughter, uh, a lady called Catherine Dickens, who was of my acquaintance in Budapest. And it was all for a very good cause. And so that was fabulous. And I, I sort of ended up landed with this, this sort of huge fountain pen. Because, I mean, it is huge. <laughs> if, you take, it's, um, if you take a 146 or a 147, this is sort of 10, 15% bigger. <laughs> they're, they're just huge, big things. This one also has got a double broad nib on it. <laughs> Which, <laughs> uh, I think last week you described one of my nibs as a paintbrush. Yep, that's pretty close to what this, this puppy does. I think that's actually just a paint bucket. You're just pouring it right out. Hopefully in somewhat of a line, but yeah. Oh, wow. Yeah, lots of paper manufacturers would agree with you. I mean, it, it's, it's good only for, and I'm somewhat ashamed to say this, but I know that there were times when I had an assistant sort of print out a memo so that I could sign it with this thing, which actually says like sort of throwing at a bottle of ink at it and hoping that a line comes out. And that's really all it's good for, you know, signing a declaration. You know, if I ever declare independence, then I will probably sign it with this pen. <laughs> Writing a, a, a journal entry, for example, this is like seven words and you're done. So I'll run out of page. So it's really not very practical, which, again, I discovered as I was writing, curiously, a journal entry. I thought, this is nonsense. So I've also got a spare. <laughs> right. This is taking this is taking the third slot in, in the do-deck, which is much more your sort of thing. It's a Sailor Pro Gear, the white one, um, which is probably called, I don't know, Endless Snow or Cherry Blossom, some such nonsense. And it's filled with Shikiori Sailor Ink, which is a very sort of pleasing green mm-hmm. very nice uh, it's a medium nib japanese medium so european fine ish and perfectly perfectly suited to write it on pretty much any paper whereas <laughs> the dickens takes everything out <laughs> it just really you can only put it on even rodia struggles with it but that's how much ink is coming out you can put it on tomoe but clearly you can then just not touch that tomoe for an hour and a half a year and a half, did you say? <laughs> well, possibly. Yeah. Um, but there you go. That's, that's my pen of the week or pens of the week. What about you? What are you using? Uh, well, see, I was all proud of myself and thought that you were going to be so proud of me until I realized what you're running with. But I found a pen that I had not yet packed. I have one desk that still hasn't been completely packed. That's what I'm recording at at the moment. And I found my... I have a little Montblanc 147 Traveler, which is a very interesting one. It comes in its own little leather case. And it is a cartridge-filled pen. It has a very weird double cartridge system that you unscrew from the end, the, the far end of the, of the pen, put a cartridge in it, and push it back in. Uh, so it's a, it's a very strange way to do it. Beautiful pen. It's about the same size as a 146. However, some of the dimensions are slightly different. So it's not actually, I don't think any of the pieces are compatible with a 146. But it's basically the same size. Bet you didn't know that, hey, Stu? Well, I, I may have, on, in passing, I may have picked up a bit of that before, yeah. Mm. Anyway, uh, the case comes with a spot for six extra cartridges, and mm-hmm. luckily mine is full of ink, and so I've been able to use it. Well, I would say use it. This is a very, very meaty medium nib, which to me is a thick signature pen. Mm-hmm. But as Stu points out, it's actually you know a technical drafting pen for small <laughs> lines compared to Stu's stuff. But uh, I've been using that this week. It's absolutely gorgeous. It's just a Mont Blanc cartridge. Uh, it's a black cartridge that came with it. But it's nice to have a pen that actually writes very nicely. So uh, trying to use a medium, I don't know how Stu does it with these broads and double broads. <laughs> right big, Justin, right big. <laughs> That's the only choice. I've got smudge marks on everything, Stu. Mm-hmm. Crazy. 
Yeah, unfortunately, that is that is. A, I mean, I have to say that my 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 double broad days are gone. Um, I just even I now find them so much sort of high maintenance living with a broad nib pen because, as you say, you can't touch anything. I'm very careful, very deliberate, and there are certain tasks for which it's no use. So I'm, I'm probably at the stage now where. Uh, Japanese broad I could live with because to me that's European medium and that that's kind of where I am I think with pens but um what what I can't abide is a dry nib yeah this you would love this 147 if you like a good European medium that's wet and juicy you'd love this one yeah I like I like I like it to flow that's my thing what? no I'm very proud of you using a proper pen well done young man it's miracles never cease I'll be back to a needle next week, Stu. Yeah, I'm sure. Or two weeks from now, perhaps, when I finally get some of my stuff unpacked. I'm hoping. Anyway. All right. And we're going to talk about lead and lag measures today, Stu. Ooh. Are you a fan of leads or lags? Uh, I was thinking long and hard about this. I, I think my position has changed along with my role, I guess. But we'll we'll get to that in a bit. First of all, why don't you take us through it? What's a lead? What's a lag? What, what's the difference? Sure. So a lead measure is a predictive measure. It's how much an activity may lead to a result. So if you think about that in terms of predictive, that's the key word. A lag measure, on the other hand, is an output measure. And this is a usually quantifiable result that can be measured. So I want to give you an example using something near and dear to my heart, the COVID belly. A lead measure, it's a predictive measure. So if I'm tracking the number of minutes on an indoor bike, the number of days without alcohol, the number of snacks during the day, and God forbid, the number of salads that my wife makes me eat with dinner. Those are predictive measures. They don't tell you anything at the end of the day, but engaging in those exercises, in those activities, in those behaviors should lead to a positive lag measure. The lag measure for that is how much I weigh if I weigh myself once a week or how tight Stu's golf shorts are. Those are lag measures. At a certain time, you can look back and say, did I hit or did I miss my goal? So imagine you're at an office and a lot of offices, a lot of performance review systems are geared towards lag measurements. Did you hit your budget? Did you release these products? Did you make these amount of sales calls? Did you introduce that many new customers into the organization? We're geared to focus on the output itself. But I suggest that it is a number of lead activities that drive any meaningful results. Stu, what's your corporate feeling on this? Is, is that right? Is there a change to lead measurements or the organizations you're dealing with still looking, for the most part, at lag measurements? Um, well, look, as a, as a CEO, or as a, a stakeholder, lag measurements are wonderfully precise, uh, as as you would 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 say. You can't argue with the numbers. <laughs> the, the data is the data, and or the data are the data. But let's not get into that particular conversation. The data is the data. <laughs> Steady now. Steady. You imagine the amount of emails you're going to get for that one. Anyway, <laughs> if. I was looking at the business. Ultimately, the measure of the success of the business is the profit and loss account. Am I making the profit I would expect to make? Am I making more profit? That's what, if you look at uh, Apple's earnings calls, it's all about earnings and then the effect on the stock price. These are all lag measures. If you go down the org chart a little bit to the managers tasked with delivering those lag measures, they are probably using lead measures, or the good ones are anyway, because their focus is on motivating people. 
is on getting people to complete the activities that will result in the lag measure that everybody's looking for. So there's a kind of switch over. And I'm thinking specifically around, around sales. So I'm filling, sort of filling in for a sales role with a client at the moment. And I'm used to talking about lag measures and the business that, that, that I'm involved in, the currency business, it targets first trades. So the first trade that a new client does, because we know, we have statistics that tell us that a, once a customer has done a first trade, then they will go on to trade. You know, 80% of them will go on to trade to a certain amount, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. A key metric for the business the amount of first trades coming in. It doesn't really matter if they're small trades or big trades. Statistically, we know that if somebody does a trade, they will go on to be worth a certain amount of money to the business. The lifetime value of the customer. There you go. So that's the perfect lag measure for the CEO, for the guys at the top. A business development manager, which is the role that I'm filling in, can't actually influence first trades directly. I'm not involved in the trade. My role is to get customers to engage with us. And I do that not directly, but by through recruiting introducers. So again, it's, it's sort of one, one leg removed. Again, looking at getting more introducers is a bit of a lag measurement. Okay, if I've got 25 introducers, that's better than having 20 introducers. But it's still a lag. It's not necessarily impacting what I do or how I do it. What I measure myself is, okay, Stuart, I am going to approach more prospective introducers. Now, I know some of them will say, go away, I don't want to speak to you. I know some of them will say, no, I'm working with one of your competitors and I like them and I don't like you. <laughs> but I also know that some will say, yeah, okay, let's work together. So that's something concrete that I can do. I can say, I'm going to increase my activity, this specific area, and that will lead to the lag measures that everybody else is looking to, to be hit. And it empowers me, it gives me control, or it gives the sales manager control to help his salespeople. Because it's something wholly in my control, how many people I approach. Now, clearly, if I approach 10 people and they all say go away, and another salesperson <laughs> approaches 10 people and they all say, yes, let's do business, there, there's another problem there. But actually, generally speaking, no offense to the salespeople listening. This is a numbers game. The amount of success has very little to do with the competence of the salesperson and more to do with the activity. Mm -hmm. And the more activity that you do, the more success you will get. So it's very empowering for a salesperson. I use it to say, okay, if I understand that only one in 10 people uh, will, will sign up, but I want to get... 10 people, then it's simple. They need to approach 100 people. Easy as that. And I focus on approaching the 100 people, not on the outcome, but on approaching 100 people. Clearly, I make the approaches as, as, you know, as, <laughs> as vibrant and as good as I can. But at the end of the day, I know that my target is to make 100. I don't worry about what comes out the other end. I just, am I going to make my 100? Am I going to hit my 100 approaches? And more times than not, that works. And I think that to me is the key, the key, key difference is a lead measure is so much more empowering than a lag measure. Whereas a lag measure is ultimately the way society works and the way business works. You and I are both familiar with profit and loss and balance sheets, uh, earnings calls and, and sitting around and, and talking about all of these things. But actually when you're then you leave the boardroom and if your role is to go out and deliver this performance, that's when you need to be looking at lead measures. Mm. Here endeth the lesson. <laughs> he said in an opinionated mention. I think sales is, is particularly 
conducive to lead measurement. I think it gets a little bit more tricky as you get into operational roles. For example, let's say you're a coder. You're writing an application. What is the lead measurement and how do you properly deal with it? Um, and that's kind of the question that comes in. For example, let's say your lead measurement is you have to write 100 lines of code. Are you going to write the best and tightest code that you can? Maybe you can do a 100-line algorithm in 10 lines if you spend a little bit longer thinking about it and testing it. Is that going to work against you if you build that into a performance evaluation? That is one of the challenges where there are problems with which one is, is better. Is getting the job done, uh, you know, let's, let's go back to a more simple, simple one. Uh, butts in seats, uh, that's a lead measure. If you're in a seat for 40 hours a week, you're going to be working all the time according to some management theories. Mm -hmm. uh, the reality is, of course, that we all know that is not actually true. People will sit at the end of the day or find people to have coffees with or, you know, anything rather than being productive for that eight hours a day. To, to pick the lead measurement has to be very carefully done. I think the reason I wanted to bring this up is because for us and the focus of what we're doing here at this podcast, the goal is not to just sit in a chair and do the things that you're told to do. The weight that we want to encourage every, everything we do is to look at things with a results-focused basis. And setting lead measurements for yourself can be a huge driver in productivity. Let's say if you're working for a company and you can get everything you need to do done in half the time, it is going to reduce stress. It's going to allow you to take on pet projects, things that you want to look at, rather than just be stressed out and meeting somebody else's lag goals. And so what would be some good ways, Stu, to come up with lead measurements for your own personal productivity? The first thing I would say is I, I echo what you, whether you be talking about lead or lag, there are a whole load of measurements out there, most of which are not appropriate for what you're trying to measure. And this will change from task to task. When I was working in retail for an exchange, so, you know, standing on a counter, a little glass counter, changing money for tourists, I would meet lots and lots of um, employees who were really focused on turnover. Okay, so doing lots of business. Mm -hmm. Okay, here comes Justin Twyford. He's got $10,000 Canadian dollars. Yeah, $10,000. Whoa, great stuff. Let's give him uh, one monitor. Oh, never mind. We don't have any. <laughs> no, let's just hang on to it. And, oh, look, over there, there's Stuart. He's, got a, he, he's only got £1,000. One of my roles when I was involved in learning and development was to try and change that focus with employees to say, I'm not interested in the turnover. I'm interested in the revenue. Mm. So... What margin do you apply to that turnover and what actual revenue comes into the business? Because that is a much more important measure. But people tend to get focused on big numbers and they get excited by big numbers. We turned over a million dollars yesterday. Great. But if you made 0.001% of that, you haven't paid the rent. Mm -hmm. If you turned over half a million dollars but made 5% on it, happy days. So finding the right measure is really, really important. And pretty much wherever you are in a business, you, <laughs> your lag measures are going to be given to you. You know, if you're right at the top, then everybody wants to know about your profit and loss account, and everybody wants to know about your balance sheet. And if you're listed, everybody wants to know about your stock price. If you're lower down the business, your manager will be giving you expectations of what he or she expects from you in terms of results, because hey, you know, capitalism is a results game. I think what JT and I are saying is that you have to try and internalize the lead measures that will realize the lag measures that everybody else is looking for. Mm, well said. If you start hitting the things that people want from you, 
they'll tend to leave you alone and let you get on with it, which I think ultimately we all want to a certain extent, just that, that breathing room to say, okay, and now I'm going to look at where I could improve the business here, or, you know, maybe do something else there, who knows? And those key measures are really are born from experience, but as Justin pointed out, they're also born from taking a little bit of time to think about something. What's the best way for me to achieve this goal? Best for, for the company, for sure, they're paying my, my wages, but also the best for me. What is the best, in inverted commas, objectively way to do this? To write five lines of really good code or 20 lines of really fast code? And again, the answer might not always be the same. <laughs> it might very much depend upon uh, the context and the situation. But working out what measures what lead measures are important for you does depend on your role and it depends upon the lag that you're trying to hit. And I don't think there's a simple answer. Some of the salesy ones that I've touched on there are around activity because you don't sell much without trying. There are some businesses that sell, you know, Apple sells, but that's because all of the other engines that are driving that, which are marketing and advertising and all of those guys. But if you're in a sales business, uh, business to consumer or business to business, you have to be making calls. You have to be sending emails. And if you're not, then you'll find that you'll be selling less than the guy next to you. So a great activity there is to say, how many calls? How many emails? How many minutes? How many hours are you going to spend on that part of activity? Everybody that I know in sales hates picking up the phone and cold calling. <laughs> It's just, just the way that even people that have cold call jobs hate picking up the phone and cold calling. And the way that, that, that we do that and get through that is saying, well, I just have to do it. So, you know, this is my, this is my key measure. Did I make 10 calls in that hour? If I made 10 calls, okay. So that's one area with content production or um, even accountancy. It might be a case of saying, okay, I'm going to spend X amount of time on task A, B, or C. It, it can be something as simple as dedicating or committing to spending time in the bit of the, the, bit of the business you don't like. And Justin, it'd be better to talk to accounting than I am. But there are things that you can do in accountancy that will make everything else easier. Now, that might be, I don't know, looking at your chart of accounts i was going to say outsourcing but you know that's maybe a little lazy because <laughs> nobody likes doing accounting I, outsourcing also works you know so <laughs> I, I think there's a whole range of measures that you can use but the ones that i think are, are the most empowering are the ones that are very personal to you and that you can maintain 100 percent control of mm -hmm. so you know would getting to your desk 30 minutes earlier actually gift you an hour because that 30 minutes is quiet do you, do you know what i mean those types of things are things that you might be able to think okay i could you know i could amend and adjust my routine now i don't mean you should stay at work longer i, I i'm a great believer in the opposite of that however working at the right time can be worth two or three times as much working at the wrong time half an hour at the right time can be better than two hours at the wrong time mm -hmm. Because if it's something that requires a lot of focus, you need you need quiet. You need the ability to be able to focus on something. And that, that was one of the thoughts I had. The biggest one, I think, is first off, do a weekly review. Make sure you know what you want to get accomplished. And then plan your lead measurements based on the activities required that will eventually get to the lag measurement. So one of the biggest things is, you know, comes back to Pomodoro's. We've talked about those before. A time block that you set to work on a particular piece of work that you need to do, whether that's programming, whether it's sales, whether it's uh, the accounting part of it, whether it's whatever it is, it doesn't matter. Set specific times, schedule it, and monitor them. That's really important is monitor two things. One, the quality of the activity that you're doing and the fact that you're doing the quantity that you need to come up with lag measurement. And that's really in a lot of businesses, you know, as Stu's saying, it's quite easy in a sales job to, to say it's a certain thing. 
But setting those numbers yourself, nobody's saying you have to call 100 customers a day. If you want to be the best at your job, maybe it's 150 customers a day. If you want to do something, it shouldn't be, here's what the corporate is telling you. You've got to think a little bit smarter in this day and age and figure out the activities that you have to do for yourself where your strengths are to meet those corporate goals. But waiting for the corporate goals and the corporate, the 360s, they're still largely set on lag activities. You did your activities during the day, your lead measurements produce this output. And I, I think that organizations themselves still could do a better job of making sure that people are making better use of their time rather than just focusing at the end of the month, here's your results, how did we do? But unfortunately, from what I've seen, a lot of businesses still think that way. Some of the lower managements are thinking activity. We need to do this today, do that today because we've got a ship. Uh, I can imagine there's a, a a little team in a factory in China somewhere been told that they've today you've got to build this one-off thing called a monitor and <laughs> ship it. Uh, you know, that's probably something that's an activity. Uh, they're not looking at their lag index and saying, oh, we sold four of these this quarter because, you know, that's about it, maybe. I don't know how many they sell, but it can't be very many. But, yeah, I think I think it's important to to take the time to develop your measurements. Yeah, I mean, I again, I'm going to build on what you said. I think perhaps, you know, step back one thing. Step one, make sure that you've defined at the beginning of each day what makes a day work, what makes a day good. Define a measure. So uh, Justin and I both do this instinctively with, uh, I would say, probably about 10,000 systems between us over the last <laughs> 50 years. But right now, I use Analog by Monk, so I have 10 slots on a, on a Today card. And I'll, I'll, I'll read you today's card, okay? It's close to the end of the working day for me. It's uh, 6 o'clock in the evening. So uh, one was investment decision. Um, so I had to speak to some people about an investment and decide what I was going to do with it. Uh, two was a one-to-one -one with, with, with my supervisor, if you like, in this, this role. Three and four were show notes for, for this show and for 1857, which I'm recording later, just making sure that show notes were ready. By show notes, I mean the ones that the hosts talk from or talk to each other through. Then I had record uh, this show and the next, and also writer interrupted, which um, is recorded, Justin, if you want to edit at your, in your own time. <laughs> then I had three client calls. So that, that's the to-do, three client calls. Nero's tabs. So that's, um, there's a, there's a, I'm doing a whole load of work on Nero's notes website, uh, working with some partners. And one of the things that I had to do was change all of the tags for every product. And there's a lot of products. So I had to, I had to finish that off today and also insurance for my house in the UK. So that, that, those were my points. And I've now crossed them all off bar the recording of the next podcast, which happens later. So I've defined what success looks like. And I get, using this system, I get the satisfaction of using a pencil to fill in the circle and go, yep, I've done that, I've done that, I've done that, I've done that. Sometimes I defer and I do a little arrow to move something onto the next day. But when I go upstairs, having tidied up my desk, I will have crossed everything off this list. I will have torn it up and thrown them in. And that to me is, boom, day is done. I've defined what success looks like. And I've hit it. There you go. That's as simple as it is. Those are all mm -hmm. lead measurements because they're all things that I control. Did I do that? I, I'm not saying did I do it brilliantly. Somebody else will tell me that. <laughs> but did I do it? The lag measure on the investments will tell you how you really did. <laughs> yeah, I'm, we're getting lag measures almost, I, I imagine, weekly for for years to come with people telling me how, how that decision has gone but it's that lead of saying okay this is what i want to do today i've done what i wanted to do today therefore on a certain level i've hit my goals mm -hmm. the lag measures they'll still be there they will still come there will still be bosses telling me whether i've hit goals or not but 
if you're not defining your own success, then how the hell do you know if you've succeeded? Cool. Very well said, Stu. All right. What's your takeaway for this one? I would thinking specifically about lead, uh, lead measures, going back to my, my old staple of golf. Um, don't sweat the outcomes. When I'm standing over a putt, golf, uh, you know, the putt is, is hopefully the last shot is when you're going to put the ball in the hole. Uh, you want it to go in. That's kind of the idea with golf. But I can't necessarily control that. It's a really binary thing, a putt. It will either go in or it won't. That's it. <laughs> okay, it's not that binary for me. <laughs> the The first part of that equation, not so much. <laughs> well, look, the... The, the the two measures that I'm looking at is, can I decide where I want to hit the ball and how hard? So mm. I look at a putt and I go, okay, this is going to go from left to right. I think it will go maybe two cups from the left to the right. It's uphill, so I have to hit this firmly. And sometimes, if, I'm, if I've been struggling, I'll say all this out loud. So that when I'm standing over the ball, I'll say, right, two cups to the left, firm. That's what I want to do. <laughs> the next measure is, did I do it? Mm, the lag measure. Well, yes, but also it's a controllable. Did I do it? Yes or no? If I did it, whether the ball went in or not, doesn't matter. I did what I set out to do. I may have been wrong. It may have been three cups to the left, or it may have been two cups to the right. <laughs> Stranger things have happened. But... As long as I've made a decision and then followed up on that decision, I can't complain because I will sometimes get it wrong. And sometimes I'll just be plain unlucky. The ball won't go in. But I don't sweat. Well, I do, but I try not to sweat the outcome. Standing there, you think, okay, what I'm going to do is I'm going to do this to the best of my ability. It'll either go in or it won't. If it doesn't, okay, that's fine. Try it. And some would say because of that attitude, I'm a pretty good putter. Because I don't get I don't get angry when the ball doesn't go in. I don't get frustrated by that. Because I know that sometimes it will go in and sometimes it won't. <laughs> it's the Zen approach to putting, if you like. <laughs> what about you, Justin? What's your takeaway? I want to just take a step back a little bit from this because we're certainly looking at activities. Uh, both that we're doing in lead measures and results in lag measures. It is so easy to get caught up in the, I have to have this amount of Pomodoros, I have to do this, I have to do that, that we sometimes lose flexibility. And this is just because in my personal life, I'm going through a lot of distraction right now. My life is in boxes my life is packing. I've got movers coming. I get a new house. I'm looking at traveling multiple trips of eight to nine hour round trip. Life is kicking me a little bit. And I would say that no matter what your measurements are, your activities are, give yourself just a little bit of flexibility to allow for any possibility. Be gentle with yourself because sometimes despite the plan that you've made, life gets in the way. And so be, be gentle with yourself. Enjoy life. Enjoy the journey. And if you're not productive for whatever reason, tomorrow's a whole new day. Start over and try again. Uh, and that's, that's sort of my takeaway given my weird take on life at the moment. <laughs> we, we're all where we are. Mm -hmm. The reason I bring that up, particularly, and I'm reflecting on that, we will not have a show for the next two weeks. I, as just mentioned, am in the middle of moving about four hour, four and a half hour drive from where I live. And that it, it takes a whole lot of complications. While I'm going to miss talking to Stu, I'm not going to have a place to talk to Stu from. And more importantly, I will have no way to edit the show properly. So it's going to be a challenge for us to do that. And rather than trying to make something up or do something, we're just going to take a break. We're going to have a couple of weeks off and then we'll be back. In the meantime, where can people find us on the internet, Stu? 
Uh, well, you can find me at stuartlennon.com or uh, Twitter at Stu Lennon. Uh, you can also find me at nerosnotes.co.uk if you're in the market for some funky stationery. What about you, Justin? Where can people find you? Because they won't be able to find you in real life. Uh, yeah, and you probably won't be able to find much of me online for the next couple of weeks either. Uh, you can find more about me, justintwyfer.com, rightexperience.com, which kind of looks like a ghost town at the moment because I haven't updated it while I've been packing and partially because I have absolutely no stationery apart from the Mont Blanc 147 that I found so happily. Um, you can get me on Twitter at JJ Twyford, or you can email us directly stationaryadjacent.com, spelt with an E. Please like and review us on your podcast catch of choice. We really do appreciate your recommendations to your friends and colleagues who you think might get something from the show. We will see you in three weeks, I guess. Uh, no show for two weeks, so it'll be three weeks. And our next topic will be the Checklist Manifesto. If you haven't read the book, I do recommend it. Until then, goodbye and stay productive. Yes, sis.